This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will be another adapted OrthoBullets core webinar from the OrthoBullets core curriculum, and this one will cover the topic of reverse total shoulder arthroplasty from the shoulder and elbow section. The topic will be reviewed by Dr. William N. Levine, who is a sports medicine surgeon and currently the chair of the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons. A 75-year-old male with two previous cuff repairs has persistent shoulder pain as active forward elevation to 60, so that would qualify as a, a pseudoparalytic shoulder, has a normal deltoid, has a positive liftoff test, so they're telling us that the subscap's not functional. Radiographs and coronal MRI see proximal humeral migration, massive retracted cuff tear, profound atrophy, and what treatment is most appropriate. Uh, I think they've made this about as easy as possible, uh, reverse total shoulder arthroplasty. So pretty classic case. All right, so reverse. Uh, this was uh, Grammont's unbelievable uh, contribution to shoulder surgery. Um, and the concept was a hemispheric ball and a concave articulating cup. The center of rotation was medialized initially uh, and inferiorized because of the gross failures that all of the early designs had for cuff tear arthropathy, which were too lateral usually, but more importantly looked more like total hips that just kind of were put into the shoulder. Um, so started by Grammont and then in 2003 came uh, barreling into North America due to the incredible uh, results of the French multicenter uh, trials. Uh, pretty amazing. Okay, here's a classic pseudoparalytic patient. Uh, and so somebody that would be a great candidate for reverse. Anterior superior escape occurs. Uh, we also now do this in three and four part proximal humerus fractures in the elderly, especially if we're concerned if the tuberosities might fail. A hemiarthroplasty with tuberosities that heal is still better uh, than a reverse because we don't have to worry about the weight restriction and limitations of the reverse. But if the tuberosities fail with a hemi, uh, it's catastrophic. If the tuberosities fail with the reverse, it's kind of like back to a cuff tear arthropathy reverse and patients can do quite well and be satisfied. So that's why there's been controversy. Increasing indication is failed arthroplasty uh, to convert to reverses. Um, indications as we've uh, talked about, intact axillary and deltoid. Okay, 79-year-old male has long-standing left shoulder pain and difficulty with raising the arm overhead. His exam shows wasting of the deltoid, obvious scapular dysrhythmia. Uh, he lacks the ability to do forward flexion or external rotation. He can internally rotate without difficulty. He wants to know if he's a candidate for a reverse. Which of the following answer choices is the most appropriate? This is one of those ones where it's a long paragraph. You have to take a moment and read it to make sure that everybody's on the same page. But here he looks like he'd be a great candidate, right? He's got proximal migration. He's got a massive irreparable cuff tear, but he's not a candidate for reverse. Why? Because he doesn't have a functioning deltoid. Critical. You have to have a deltoid. There's no way around that. And uh, this case nicely illustrates that problem. So contraindications are deltoid deficiency, bony acromion deficiency, glenoid osteoporosis, relative contraindication, active infection, obvious a, a uh, contraindication in all cases. The biomechanics are such that the, uh, the center of rotation, as we said, was inferior, inferiorized and medialized. And that allows the deltoid lever arm to have a longer fulcrum and raise the arm again. When the humerus migrates proximally, the deltoid lever arm becomes shorter and you literally can't power the arm up. By putting, bringing the center of rotation down to a normal position, the deltoid is able to work again.
surgical technique. Again, this is a McKenzie approach or a superior approach. I don't rarely, I rarely do that. I usually reserve that if the deltoid has been previously violated or there's a problem with the deltoid and we want to repair it. Uh, it's more popular in certain centers in Europe, although the majority of patient, of surgeons still do a standard deltopectoral approach. This gives you better orientation of the glenoid. You're less likely to superiorly position it and, and you're less likely to have uh, scapular notching. Uh, but like anything, if, you're, if you get used to any of these approaches, I'm sure it doesn't uh, probably matter. Retroversion has been discussed when we when it first came to North America. People recommended zero degrees. Now people are are really more in the 20 to 30 degrees and trying to be more anatomic. And we think that helps with external rotation as well. We always uh, tenotomize the biceps if it's still there. It's often gone in many of these patients. You're going to think about your base plate, and if anything, you want it to be in the inferior part of the glenoid and maybe 10 degrees inferiorly tilted or at least at neutral. Under no circumstances do you want it superiorly tilted and this will be a test question you'll see over and again because that will increase your likelihood of inferior scapular notching. Uh, Postoperatively, patients placed in a sling. Uh, I don't do any physical therapy for four weeks. Uh, although it's controversial uh, with subscapularis and people say that they do better if you repair the subscap, I can tell you in the uh, hundreds and hundreds of reverses that I've done, uh, I've repaired uh, probably five subscapularis attendance uh, in all that time. So I, I rarely repair the subscapularis. Outcomes, uh, there is some durability issues that have been shown with longer term follow-up, but the um, survivorship is still fantastic even at 15 and 20 years uh, from all of the French uh, long-term studies. Uh, superior placement of the base plate during reverse shoulder arthroplasty is a known technical risk factor for inferior scapular notching as we've been talking about. Uh, sir, uh, scapular notching is very common in some studies as high as 80%, especially when we paid less attention in the early days. Uh, it's increased risk with superior glenoid component, superiorly placed glenoid component, or insufficient inferior tilt uh, of the glenoid. Servo uh, has uh, introduced this uh, classification, one, two, three, and four, beyond the inferior screw, and four gets to extend under the base plate. And although the original thought was we didn't know if this had clinical relevance, there's no question that this does have clinical relevance and leads to increased failure uh, down the road. So we want to do everything we can to avoid scapular notching. Prosthetic glenoid loosening is the most common mechanism of failure. We always are worrying about uh, base plate loosening over time. A uh, 55-year-old male returns for follow-up three months after reverse. Uh, reports limited function of the right shoulder, but no antecedent trauma. Radiograph, you see instability of a reverse total shoulder replacement. All of the following variables are associated with this complication except... It's a devastating complication, and the one thing that's not associated with that is rheumatoid arthritis. So the other issues, proximal um, humeral malunions, proximal humeral bone loss, failed arthroplasty, and fixed pre-op dislocation is by far the most common reason to have post-operative reverse uh, instability problems. So really important to keep that in mind. Complications of reverse uh, re uh, dislocation is reported at a low rate. Uh, it's usually anterior and increased uh, risk with irreparable subscap, uh, proximal humeral bone loss, failed arthroplasty, and not related to the condition of the cuff. Again, in my practice and in many, uh, subscap is not really an associated risk, although I know that uh, people talk about that a lot. 
Uh, finally, deep infection, which is something we always worry about with all arthroplasty, uh, susceptible due to the large dead space that we create, and the most common organisms are Propionobacter acnes and Staphylococcus. Uh, they always like to ask how long you have to keep the cultures, and as you guys know, I'm sure you want to keep them at least 14 days for P. acnes. If you only keep them three to five days, uh, you will miss them uh, potentially. Uh, chromium and scapular spine fractures, as I've mentioned, are things that we have to keep in mind. Uh, and if you see that little old lady with severe osteoporosis and erosion of the acromion with uh, profound proximal migration, we worry a lot about that type of patient developing a scapular spine fracture post-op. What do you do about that? Well, you may change your technique. You may not make them as tight. You may not make them as inferiorized. So there's some technical pearls that you may want to do to try to decrease the risk of a spine fracture. Neuropraxia occurs when we over-lengthen these uh, patients, and that can be devastating. Uh, so if you um, think about that as well, um, some people, uh, Jerry Williams and others uh, from the Rothman group, have done some neuromonitoring, uh, and you want to make sure you don't have the arm in uh, extreme positions for extended periods of time during the surgical procedure because you put tremendous stress potentially on the brachial plexus. That's all for this review on reverse total shoulder arthroplasty. If you would like access to the full video version of these core webinars, sign up for the OrthoBullets core curriculum today. There will be a link in the show notes for anyone who is interested. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. Thanks so much for listening. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. See you all tomorrow.